So that's Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens up the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray as we turn to God's word now. Father God, we thank you for this chance to come and listen to your word, to hear you speak to us. We ask that as we do so, that you would teach us, you would instruct us in the ways of life and in the ways of the blessed man. Father, please help us to be humble before your word, to listen to what you say and to live rightly as a result. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh, This psalm, well, it starts with those words and it finishes with them as well. And as, as it happens in that way, the psalmist, well, he doesn't give us any wiggle room this morning. It's abundantly clear that we're talking about praise this morning. And it's really good for us to talk about praise as a church family. Uh, The first answer in the Westminster Catechism tells us that the purpose of our lives is is to praise God, to glorify and enjoy Him forever. Uh, Every week at the start of our service, we are called to come and praise the Lord each and every week. It's an important topic for us to think about is praise. It's obvious that it's to be a really huge part of what it means to be a Christian. But one of the worst ways for us to start thinking about praise this morning would be to ask ourselves, how's your praise life? That would be a terrible question to ask yourself this morning because depending on what kind of person you are, you're probably going to answer it in one of three ways. Uh, You might think, well, actually, yeah, my my praise life's okay. I get on okay. I, I come to church. I praise God. And so you just kind of shrug off the question and don't really think about it. Or maybe you'll think, well, I know I need to praise God and I know I need to do it better, so I'm going to resolve to do that better. I'm going to pull my socks up and get better at praising God. Or maybe you're a bit like me, you're a little bit more melancholy. And when someone asks you the question, how's your praise life? You're just going to turn to despair. You're just going to, it's going to crush you because we know that we often don't praise God as we know we should. But none of those are the response that the psalmist craves for us as God's people this morning. Uh, the, books, uh, the book of the Psalms, 
Well, it's split into five different sections or five books. And at the end of each book, at the end of book one, two, three, and four, well, the psalm has finished with a few lines of praise directed towards God. Uh, This psalm, Psalm 146, is right near the end of the whole Psalter. It's near the end of book five. And that praise, well, it gets turned up to 11 because we have five full psalms devoted entirely towards praise of God. Psalm 146 through 150, well, they each start with these words, praise the Lord. And so the question for us this morning what is, what is it that drives the psalmist to this type of praise? What is it that's going to drive us this morning to this response of rapturous praise? Well, in general, in life, well, we praise whatever is good. You know, we might say that, oh, that, that goal on Sunday, that was an incredible goal. We might watch a film and think, the acting was just amazing. Brought tears to my eyes. It was so good. Any number of things that you can put in that you would say, that was amazing. And you don't have to, you don't have to drum yourself up to that. It comes naturally because it is what is good. So what is it that's going to be the fuel for our praise of God? Well, it's going to be God himself. That's what's going to, that's what's going to fuel our praise. And the first thing that we, we learn from this psalm, and from the psalms in general, is that we don't need to, we don't need to psych ourselves up to praise God. We don't need to say any, any magic words to get ourselves into the right headspace to praise God. The psalmist gives us the ammunition we need to praise God because he points us to the awesomeness of the Lord himself. But it's quite interesting that in this psalm, we start not by looking at God, but actually by looking at man. Now, the writer, he's, he's not making a mistake. He's, it's not like a blunder of epic proportions that he's just got the wrong end of the stick entirely. No, the psalmist is he's acting like a jeweler who holds up the diamond ring in front of a black velvet background. And that's so that we can see the shine, the colors, the clarity of the diamond even better. And that's what's happening here. We see how good God is because it's being compared to man. And that's, that's the first of our two points this morning. It's there in verse 3. Don't trust in princes. Verse 3 says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. It's a simple point to start with. Don't trust in princes. It means not to trust in the rulers and the authorities of this world. In the second half of verse 3, the psalmist makes it clear. He opens it up to who's in view. He says, in a son of man. He's not talking about one particular prince of the day. He's talking about any person. We're not to put our trust in people, ultimately, because verse 3 they can't save. They cannot save. It might not be a tricky point for us to grasp, 
But it's a really important one this morning. We aren't to place our trust in people because people can't save. In verse 4, the, the psalmist goes on to teach us another simple point that the earthly princes will die. They will return to the earth and any plans that those princes have, they'll perish. They'll disappear. Put not your trust in princes. Now, I don't think that we uh, today are meant to take that completely literally because as nice as you know, Prince William and Prince Harry are, I'm not really sure that any of us are really all that guilty of putting our trust in them. But there are plenty of rulers or authorities that we might put our trust in today. Might be earthly princes that will ultimately let us down. At the risk of opening a bit of a can of worms this morning, there may be someone here who was actually really pleased this week when Boris became prime minister. Maybe you saw Boris as the man who's going to overthrow the EU and finally deliver Brexit. But the truth of the matter is that at some point, Boris, as our prime minister, will let us down. He's just a man. It may be that he's struck by scandal. He might do something really stupid. Or he might just be able, not be able to get Parliament to do anything at all. Maybe you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you're hoping that, that Jeremy Corbyn or another Labour leader will come in. But again, we know from our past experience that at some point they too will let us down. Any politician, any earthly leader will let us down eventually. But even in the church, even in the Christian circles, we aren't immune from trusting in, in princes. It may be that we trust our pastors or our elders or an older Christian brother or sister just a little bit too much. Now, it, don't get me wrong, I'm saying it is absolutely right to look up to older believers. But the point of this, Sam, is that we aren't to put our trust in them ultimately. Because even in the church, even within the church, we can be let down. I'm sure we've all heard of ministers who have fallen from grace, ministers who have committed terrible sins that we couldn't have even imagined possible. Just in this past month, uh, I've actually heard of a minister here in the UK, a minister who is in similar evangelical circles to us, who has been committing spiritual abuse through accountability groups. This is a man who has been deeply revered and respected for 20 or 30 years. Just last week, I heard of an American man, a former pastor, who is now separated from his wife, which is terribly sad. And then a few days later, he admitted that he wouldn't call himself a Christian any longer. And this is a man who, whose books I've massively benefited from and actually whose books I've recommended to other people. And now he wouldn't even say that he's a Christian. These are just two examples, and I'm sure that each person here is thinking of another example. There are so many more that we can think of. And each of these instances, it's a tangible reminder for us not to put our trust in earthly princes, because there is no salvation in the Son of Man. Ultimately, men die. 
his breath will depart, he'll return to the earth. And in a flash, in a moment, all of his plans are gone. And if we're honest with ourselves, these words about breath departing, returning to the earth, earth, plans perishing, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that they're true of us too. One day, we will die. One day, our plans will perish. And that'll be the end of it. Any grand plans that we have, they won't come to fruition. So if you're here this morning and you are not trusting in Jesus, maybe you are someone that's, that's trusting in an earthly prince of some description. Maybe, maybe you're trusting in yourself. Or maybe you just haven't thought that much about the future or about death. But if you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus, well, please heed the warning that this psalm holds for you. Don't put your trust in princes because salvation can only be found in one place. And that leads us on to the rest of the psalm and our, our second and final point this morning. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Uh, these next verses, verses 5 to 9, well, they contain the name for God, uh, the Lord, in capital letters, contains, the, contains those words six times. And having the Lord in, in capitals, that's just the way that, that our modern English Bibles present God's name. Uh, in Hebrew, it might have been pronounced Yahweh or Jehovah, but it's the name that God gives whenever Moses asks God for his name back in Exodus. The Lord, in capitals, it's God's covenant name. So every time we see the Lord in capitals in our Bibles, we should be thinking about God's covenant with his people. It takes us back to Exodus chapter 34. We're not going to turn there now, uh, but it's whenever God passes in front of Moses and he explains what his name means as he declares these words, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Those words, those ideas, they should be coming to the forefront of our mind as we read these words. And as we see God's name, the Lord, in capitals, pop up so many times in these verses. But if we jump back into our psalm, at verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. I mean, even, even at a quick glance, we can see a huge contrast to what we've seen before. In verses 3 and 4, we had man, weak, unstable, disappointing, the one whose plans will perish when he dies. And then in verse 5 and 6, we have the Lord, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who made the roaring seas. 
and the one who made every single creature that lives in the sea, from the smallest plankton to the biggest blue whale. What a huge contrast in the power and capability of man and of our awesome God. And then at the end of verse 6, well, we see that the Lord keeps faith forever. When we trust in man, in verse 3 and 4, well, there's ultimately no salvation because man dies. His breath departs from him. His plans will vanish in a puff of air, a wisp of smoke after a candle is snuffed out. But the Lord, in verse 6, he keeps faith forever. The Lord's breath will not depart. The Lord will always be there. The Lord and his plans will not perish. But not only do his plans not perish, but he keeps faith forever. Where man can fall and stumble and fail, the Lord will keep faith. He will always remain faithful to who he is. God will always remain faithful to what he has said that he will do. Forever. Really basic point, but forever is a really, really long time. Uh, when you start to think about it, you, you just can't wrap your head around forever. And that's actually a really good thing because it means that as we look back and as we look forward, as far as you can comprehend, well, God remaining faithful actually extends beyond that. God remaining faithful forever extends beyond what we comprehend, beyond what we can imagine. And that for us is a hugely comforting thought because we know that God will always remain faithful to us, his people. In verses 7 and 8, we're transported to the New Testament. uh, As we see that the words uh, in these verses are actually very similar to Luke chapter 4. Let's turn there now. It's on page 860 in your church Bibles. So page 860. Luke chapter 4, we are right at the start of Jesus' ministry. Uh, He has just come back from being tempted by Satan in the desert. And he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth in his hometown. And he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads these verses from uh, verse 18. So in the top left of page 860, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Can we spot the similarities between these words and and our psalm? We see that captives are set free. The blind are are made to see justice is given to the oppressed. The Lord lifts up 
those who are bowed down and oppressed. Uh, the verses in, these psalm, in this psalm are very similar to these words in Luke, uh, which is a quote from Isaiah. Uh, we don't know when Psalm 146 was written, so we're not quite sure whether the psalmist pinched the words from Isaiah or Isaiah pinched them from the psalm, or if they just had the thoughts independently. We're not sure. But what is clear for us to see is what Jesus says in verse 21 of Luke chapter 4. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So as the people there in the synagogue that day, as they hear Jesus read these words, well, they're seeing the fulfillment of them. Jesus is basically saying, it's me. I'm the one who's going to do this. And so as we jump back to our psalm on page 525, as we read these words, as we read of the Lord executing judgment, our justice for the oppressed, as he feeds the hungry, sets the prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, well, as we read those words, we know that Jesus does that. We know that it's through Jesus that this happens. Uh, that's what we see in the gospel accounts. We see Jesus making friends with the outcasts. We see Jesus healing all sorts of people, including the blind. And verses 5 to 9 of this psalm, well, they show us that the Lord is the one who saves. They show us that he is the one in whom there is salvation. And those verses in Luke, well, they go to show us that these words are fulfilled in Jesus, that it's Jesus who brings this wonderful salvation. Jesus is the one who executes justice for the oppressed, feeds the hungry, sets the prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down. Jesus shows that he can do it throughout the Gospels. But he fully brings about that salvation as he lives the life that we should have lived. And as he dies the death that we deserve to die. It's as Jesus goes to the cross, as Jesus takes the punishment for sin that wasn't his, well, that's where we ultimately see the Lord saving his people. And it's at that moment, as Jesus hangs on a cross, that Jesus truly is lifting up those who are bowed down, those who are oppressed with sin. That phrase in verse 8 of the psalm, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, it, it reminds me of Another gospel account, it reminds me of Matthew chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. We don't need to turn there now, but Matthew, he points us to Jesus fulfilling another one of Isaiah's prophecies. It says this, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, speaking of Jesus, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name 
the Gentiles will hope. Uh, what makes me think of those verses is the bruised reed that Jesus will not break, the smoldering wick that he will not quench. The bruised reed and the smoldering wick, it's their words to describe those who are bowed down, those who are broken, those who are weak, those who are close to being snuffed out, those who feel at the end of their tether. And this psalm, well, it teaches us that Jesus lifts up those people. The bowed down, the hungry, the oppressed, those are the people that Jesus saves. Jesus heals the weak. He looks after the stumbling and ultimately he saves them. So if you're here this morning and you feel weak, you feel at the end of your tether, you feel like life is hard and you're not sure if you can go on. Take comfort from these words that the Lord, through Jesus, will lift you up if you trust in the God of Jacob. If you trust in the Lord, if you trust in Jesus, there is massive hope for us in suffering. Verse 5 makes sense. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Well, of course we're blessed if we trust in the Lord. We're blessed because if we trust in the Lord, we're trusting in the one who can save. We're not trusting in a human prince who can't save. We're not trusting in a human prince who will let us down and who will ultimately die. No. If we trust in the Lord, if we trust in Christ, we're trusting in the one who can and who does save the weak, just like us. And that brings the psalmist to, to verse 10. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord indeed. Let's turn to pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for who you are, that you are the God of creation, that you made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. We thank you that you keep faith forever for us. And Father, we thank you that you are able to save that you do feed the hungry, you give justice to the oppressed, you open the eyes of the blind and you lift up those who are bowed down. Father, thank you that you are a God who saves those who are weak and stumbling. Father, please, would you help us not to put our trust in earthly princes, but help us, Father, to see who you are, to put our trust in you, and therefore to praise you as we ought to. Amen.